Welcome to another edition of Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC 283. This episode of the Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of the Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by Prize Picks. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit. Producer Megan on the sticks, Cody Saftik on the line. 15 fights in Brazil this Saturday to break down. Can't really complain, Cody. Lots of good spots, lots of great action. Looking forward to like. You know, we've been at the apex so often that like it's going to be good to have a bit a crowd filled with people saying you will die in in Portuguese. Like it, there's a certain element to like these live events that we've been missing. And the Vegas ones don't really count. The crowds suck there. So, looking forward to this card. Well, there is no crowd. So, yeah, you're right. There's no atmosphere. There's no real ambiance. And I'm pumped up to see them go to Brazil. The one thing is, is now I got to consider that extra layer of greasiness. I'm like, are there going to be hometown decisions? Is there going to be some hometown cooking? Is there going to be some guys that perform a lot better in Brazil than they otherwise would perform in North America? So, yeah, what I like about it, like you said, 15 fights, tons of fights, but tons of spots. And uh, I think that's that's the real key here this week is that you can zone in again on these three four five good spots you like and then just work around those 100 percent. all right let's uh get right into the action then we've got jamal hill taking on glover Teixeira for the light heavyweight championship of the world jamal hill a minus 135 favorite glover Teixeira can be had for plus 115 I mean, this has been like close to a pick I think it opened up a little bit wider than this. Some action came in on Glover. People have really good cases for both sides of this fight. I love Glover, so I feel like I'm like just inherently biased. I bet him all the time. He's been an underdog in a lot of spots. Now we're getting closer to a pick here. Am I going to be stunned whatsoever if Jamal Hill lands the perfect shot, knocks him out? No, not not really. Um, Glover should have a massive grappling advantage, great wrestling, but let's, you know, call a spade a spade. He's very long in the tooth. He's in his forties, man. The man's, you know, built and had such a great history and created such a great legacy for himself. Working with Alex Pereira should help get ready for this type of position for him. Uh, he's going to be giving up a ton of speed. He gives up a ton of speed against pretty much all of his opponents. I'm not going to bet it because we are closer to a pick em. I see the arguments for both sides. I'm picking Glover, maybe because I'm a little bit biased and love the guy. If things are going well on Saturday night, it may be hard for me not to click the button on, on the old war horse. I'll be picking Glover, Teixeira, but uh, very cautiously. What about you? Yeah, I'm going to take Jamal Hill, but what I will admit is that if you were going to bet Glover, just like you said, maybe bet it while the fight's going on maybe hit that live bet i think that would be the best way to attack it because plus 115 right now good you know anytime you can get plus money on glover texera here's a guy that's going to fight for your dollar here's a guy that is slow and lost a lot of us his athleticism and can't strike at the same quality anymore but yet you're right he's a training partner of alex Pereira. he's in the gym every day with one of the best guys in the world he just fought yuri prochaska which he gave up all those speed advantages on those striking advantages and he finds a way to will it and get the thing going but yeah you got to admit he almost gets deaded in the first round in a bunch of his fights you'll remember his tiago santos fight where in the first round he looks dead in the water gets dropped pretty hurt hurt again in the third round his ground game was able to uh, to bail him out. His fight with Carl Roberson, short elbows against the side of the cage, right? 
falls down to a knee. He's hurt. He's in a bad spot. He had tough uh, tough moments against Ian Kudalaba. He had a lot of these tough moments in his fights where you can expose him, you can clip him. Jamal Hill, I think he's probably one of the best strikers in the division. He's one of these guys that, unlike an Ankalaev, is a good striker, but also seems to have the power behind it to really go out there and put a guy away. And he's very, very calm and not cautious but he's cool in there he's collected everything he throws he's not throwing 100 percent power and as a result i feel like he will be able to carry that into those fourth and fifth championship rounds which will be necessary here's the one issue if you want to make money in mma you want to bet on the grappler that's how you're going to win long term right you don't want this guy guy with the fancy he could knock him out because most fights end up hitting the ground that's kind of my worry if you look at his last fight with tiago santos he got taken down six times by mm-hmm. tiago santos he gave up six minutes of top control against Tiago Santos. Well, what do you think is going to happen here? And for the record, Jamal Hill's a blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. <clears throat> and he's taking on like a, a storied, credentialed black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu with some of the best top control, some of the best top game. It just seems like maybe it's an insurmountable difference. So if you know Glover's going to get some takedowns and you know he's going to have a huge ground advantage, he's 100% a live dog. Yeah, he could get clipped. Puff. It's MMA. Anybody could get clipped. So taking that off the table, if this thing hits the ground, and it probably will, and he's got the better skill set on the ground, live underdog, 100% a live underdog. So I'm not super confident in Jamal Hill. I just do think like the younger guy is going to clip him. And and then similar to the Yuri fight, in my mind anyways, Glover will have those spots. He will take him down. He will kick his ass on the ground. He will own him. He'll win a couple rounds. And then like third, fourth, and fifth, I think he's just going to slip up and make one mistake and get bashed on with something good right hand, maybe a straight left, uh, maybe an elbow over the top. I just feel like Hill's going to maybe give up a couple early rounds and then come back and, and pick him off. That being said, for live betting purposes, it'd be smarter to let Glover lose the first couple rounds and then come back like the old warhorse tends to do. So I just feel like this is a fight that, like you said, both arguments on both sides, good arguments. I hear the arguments for Hill, I get them. I hear the arguments for Glover, I, I get them. You're going to know way more about which guy has is, is got the better game plan on that night a few minutes into the fight. You'll have way more knowledge a few minutes into the fight. So maybe attack it from a live betting purpose. But unfortunately for this show, pre-fight picks, got to pick the whole card, got to make a pick. You're going Glover, I'll go Hill. I will say, because you were talking about rounds three, four, and five, that the total in this fight is set to one and a half rounds. Like That's where it's like pretty much a pick them. Uh, to two and a half rounds is like over is plus 180 is available out there. Um, Glover's takedowns are set at two and a half at prize picks. Hill's strikes are set at 40.5. So like this is lined as though this fight's not going into round three pretty much. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, nobody, it's the same situation that happened with Yuri fight, right? It's like nobody was saying, oh, this is going to get into the fifth round. I mean, the the end of that fight was so insane. What? It was like 60 to 1. Uh, there were some people. I don't know how you ended up on that ticket unless you were in like Krause's little betting service or something like that. I don't know, allegedly. But, uh, yeah, like he was like 60 to 1 to win by like round 5 submission or something. Maybe even that's even too little. It was absolutely absurd. What a crazy fight. But yeah, Glover's certified tough. Sometimes the lights get shut off, but like, man, what a what a career the guy's had. Um, just love the old man. And that's why I kind of pull myself away from it financially because I'm like, I can't pick against him. I just love the old guy so much at this point. Uh, let's move on to the quadrilogy of Davison Figueredo taking on Brandon Moreno. Brandon Moreno is a ever-so-slight favorite at minus 125. 
Uh, Figgy can be had for plus 105. Your thoughts on this one, buddy? Yeah, well, I mean, it's the uh, it's the fourth meeting between both guys. So it seems like you almost get a different version of both men every single time, right? The, the first fight, it's you know pretty competitive. Brandon Moreno comes back in the later rounds, ends up losing, right? They rematch. Brandon Moreno looks career best. Like, that was the best he looked. He kicked his ass standing. He kicked his ass on the ground. He outpaced him. He worked him over. Brandon Moreno is the better fighter. And then that last fight, well, I bet on Brandon Moreno because I'm pretty sure at this point he's proven he's the better man. If Figgy decides to go to fight ready in Arizona and actually show up in shape, <laughs> damn, dude, the guy's good. He's legitimately is good if he shows up in shape, if he shows up. And for this camp, he's not at fight ready. He's 35 years old. He's apparently heavy and making a big old weight cut to make down 125 pounds. He's got to make championship weight. I just feel like Moreno's going to just, again, keep bringing the pace, keep bringing the pressure, keep bringing the grind. I get that he doesn't got James Krause in his corner. I get that, you know, he had to move training camps and this and that. Ultimately, he is a world-class fighter. He's going to be able to adapt to his surroundings. And I know that he's linked up some really good guys, uh, I, will, I believe, over in Las Vegas. So I, I'm not particularly worried. At his best, Brandon Moreno's wrestling See, Figgy's just like a little fire hydrant. He's hard to take down. The guy is physically strong, but Moreno's the better wrestler. He can use that grind to just tire him out. You know, he, he's got 25 minutes of cardio all day, all night. So he can strike, and he can grapple, and he's just going to mix it all in together. Because Davidson's going to be at his best when he's just sitting there counterpunching. He's got a heavy left hand. He's got great power on both hands, to be honest with you. But he holds his ground very well. If you can force him to work and force him to exert energy, you're going to get hit. And Moreno's been hit plenty of times by this guy. He knows what it's all about. But he's got that just Mexican grit, Mexican toughness. He's going to have to put it on full display. But I feel like Figgy a little bit older, a little bit less focused. Uh, he's going to be in for one bad weight cut. And he moved away from, like, the best training camp in North America. So I, I just I, I can't get behind him. Got to go Brandon Moreno to, uh, to, to seal the deal in this fourth fight. Yeah, I, I'm... I made the rule for myself after their first fight that, like, when it ran, when they ran it back and they ran it back again, that if I was going to bet it, I was going to bet the underdog. And they pretty much set this as close to a pick em as you could get it. Um, my, minus 125 is probably the widest margin that I see out on the market right now. It's a lot of straight pick across the board. Um... I'm very, very curious about the weigh-ins. Figgy has struggled historically, uh, making weight, and, you know, yeah, he absolutely did miss weight um, and had to relinquish the belt that way before. So that is a big issue if you say that he's coming in a little bit heavy. But yeah, 35 years old in this division, it is. It's it's a young man's game. Like we talk about heavyweights, it's fine. You like we were just talking about Glover. He's 43 or 43 years old, and he's fighting for the light heavyweight championship. Like it's a speed game down at this division. And if that speed's not there, if the cardio's not there for Davison, I'll ever so slightly lean towards you with Brandon Moreno here. Eyes all eyes before I actually put a wager on this fight will be on the uh, the weigh-ins though we'll see how Davison comes in he always kind of struggles to make the weight and not going to be any easier at 35 years of age well especially him. especially with yeah especially with the 12 month long layoff right so Davidson's literally only fought Brendan Moreno the last nearly three years whereas Brendan Moreno fought him a bunch and then he fought Kekar France and he didn't look great in that fight let's be no. real but showed, again, that resilience and that persistence where he did not look good in the first couple of rounds. 
but he keeps coming at you. Davidson's now making the weight cut. He's a little bit older. He's all this and that. But the year-long layoff means that he hasn't had to make the weight in a year. It's going to be tough on him, right? He hasn't had to go the five hard rounds. He hasn't had to exert himself. He hasn't had to push it because he's been hurt. And when you see the guy, it's like he's not someone that like is living cheap and saving his money. It's very much expensive designer clothes and fast cars and you know, just living living a high class lifestyle, but injured and not necessarily compete in this Moreno fight. When they after the last one, Figueredo gets his hand raised. It's a great fight. They should run it back. But they were like, nah, let's not run this thing back. Davidson's gonna fight somebody else. But he was hurt. He was hurt. And so Brandon was the one that fights somebody else, beats Kai Car France, makes people want the fight. And then it's like, okay, we'll run this thing back. So I just feel like he's at the better point of his career. If you took these guys prime for prime. And they've fought in both in their primes, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you could get a different result every single time. But I, I feel like Figgy still badass. Not quite in his prime anymore. Moreno, he's still getting there. He's still making improvements. He's still young. He's taking some damage at the hands of this guy. But again, I, I feel like I feel like he's still got a lot to give. That's fair. Any any thoughts on like takedowns? Brandon Moreno said it uh, too. He got over it yeah, in the first say, time they yeah. fought. He got to four. Against against Kaikara France, he didn't even land a takedown, which is kind of interesting. I don't know. I think that yeah. line's I think that line's probably set about right, to be perfectly honest. Like Moreno doesn't necessarily have to wrestle, but he'll he'll mix it in if it's available. Um not really yeah, any I meat agree. on the bone there, to be perfectly honest. All right, we got Gilbert Burns taking on Neil Magny, minus four fifty Gil, plus three fifty for Neil Magny. Who you got? Yeah, so it's like it's a tempting price on Neil Magny because, you know, he's one of these serviceable journeyman types that's going to give you a decent effort. Has a good skill set, right? Can grapple, can strike, is very long for the division. Very crafty, high ring IQ veteran. So when you see a big plus money price tag like that next to him, you know, it's a little bit tempting. It's just I don't think he matches up with Gilbert Burns well at all. His two best characteristics are actually Gilbert Burns' two worst characteristics for what it's worth is that he has good cardio, Neil Magny. He can fight a hard 15 minutes. But they don't necessarily Gilbert can. And he has high ring IQ. Gilbert doesn't. So I totally see a world where Gilbert Burns is the better guy, can win this fight, should win this fight, and then somehow blows it for himself. He, if he comes in hurt and not 100% or he gets tired, or his takedowns start getting nullified and he doesn't have that that 15 minutes hard pr- pressure cardio to get in your face and bang, he's going to be in a world of shit. Now, keep in mind his stock's at an all-time high right now because of the Chimaev fight. Prior to that, what did we know about him? Well, he gasses out. He tends to gas out. The Wonder Boy fight, his striking was non-existing. He had to rely on a couple takedowns. He's got some smothering jiu-jitsu, but doesn't necessarily always get the submission. And again, he can fight a good one round. He can fight maybe a good second round. Guy, guy won the first round against Kamaru Usman, throwing his hands. But in almost every situation, when he falls off, he falls off fast. And keep in mind, Usman knocked him out with a stiff jab, right? Hits him with one stiff jab, boom, Gilbert topples over. His chin's not great. His durability's not great. His cardio's not great. And then he shows up in this Chimaya fight, just like a, a different animal. He literally pressured him the entire time. Even though he was hurt, his heart was in check. He kept throwing. And I feel like his stock's high because it was a good fight against a guy that everyone has just the world of respect for, fight-wise. You know, the guy's kind of a clown in his extracurriculars. But 
for Gilbert Burns, it was like, this is a career-high best fight. If he comes in that same version of himself, he just backs up Neil Mangy straight to the cage. He can either land strikes one Neil, once Neil's backed up, or he's just going to shoot that double leg up against the cage, trip him to the ground. He's a lot physically stronger. Neil's got long limbs. It's an advantage standing. It's an advantage for certain things. What is not an advantage of is when you're on the ground, you got Gilbert Burns who's got shut down control on you because your long limbs creates that you can't create those little explosive movements to get back up. You know, if you try to get back up, you're going to give up your back, which Gilbert's going to snatch up. So if his pressure game of striking is going to just be very effective, which it should be, and his wrestling is good enough to get Magni down at least a few times, and his jiu-jitsu is good enough to neutralize it, I just got to make sure his cardio is in check, which I won't know until come Saturday night. But it's in Brazil. He's in Brazil. He's going to have his fans. They're going to be yelling, Huva Mejia over and over again. I got to think this guy wins two rounds and coasts at best in the third. So... Give him Gilbert Burns, but it's a it's it's a wide line. He could look this good and make this look like oh yeah yeah four minus four hundred minus five hundred all day long. Again, it's not exactly as easy as that, and there are versions of Gilbert Burns that exist that can make this very difficult on himself. Yeah, I jumped in on Gilbert Burns early. I think worst case scenario turns into like the Wonder Boy fight. And, like Wonder Boy fight, he had to be a little bit more cautious because like Wonder Boy, if he connects, is like KO power type of ability, right? Um, Neil May, the thing is, Neil has great volume, amazing cardio. He's a good offensive wrestler, but it's like, I can never, I had money on him against Michael Chiesa. And it's just like, that was just such oh. a piss poor performance. And it's just like, if Gilbert takes this fight, takes it methodically, sticks to the game plan, gets the takedowns, he doesn't even necessarily need the submissions. I think it's a very, very clear path to victory. Even on the feet, like he, Hung in there with Hamza Chemaev. Um, he's had some good, like, round one against Kamaru Usman. He was putting on a show. Like, he can hang on the feet. But, like, obviously, getting this fight to the mat early and often is his clearest path to victory against Neil Magny. Um, don't fight at range with a guy with, like, an 80-inch reach. Like, that's, you know, you're just going to eat jabs all day. But I feel like eventually, especially, or hopefully early for my sake, uh, Gilbert Burns gets his fight to the mat, controls. He was minus 350 on that ticket. I parlayed him with Johnny Walker, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So that's a bit scary, but it is what it is. Um, let's move on to the next fight before we get to the Walker fight. We got uh, Jessica Andrade taking on Lauren Murphy. Andrade is a minus 465 favorite. Murphy can be had 4 plus 365. Your thoughts? Okay, so again, this is another one that should be, just like Gilbert Burns, should be very straightforward. Jessica Andrade has just got Lauren Murphy beat everywhere. If the fight stays standing, Murphy's got that scrappy striking style, which will she'll stand in the pocket and exchange with you. But like Jessica Andrade is someone you don't want to hang out in the pocket with, man. She rips the body with reckless abandon. She'll go up top. She's got big power in both hands. She's female John Lineker. We've always said that. Mm -hmm. And then she goes out there and lives up to the, to the moniker, right? Uh, she's very, very aggressive. She's very strong. I would always think that she's, this is someone that's not going to be able to keep that pace up. But her cardio is not actually half bad either. Her takedowns, uh, I wouldn't say her wrestling's great as much as she's by far the strongest girl in the division. And if she wants to throw you on your head, she will. She fought Raquel Pennington back in the day at 135 and picked her up and dumped her on her head. She's extremely strong and physical. She wants to fight to the ground. It's going to the ground. And, of course, her jiu-jitsu is good. So she's extremely well-rounded. The girls that beat her are going to have to be the best in the world. You've got to be one, two, three in the world. Lauren Murphy, although scrappy, although someone that's fought for a world title, although someone, if you check her on Instagram right now, 
she is in incredible shape. Like she's not young by no means, but her last fight, she showed up in great shape after a long layoff and uh, performed very well. And then now, you know, she's going to come into this fight in great shape as well. But the best version of Lauren Murphy still struggles against the worst version of Jessica Andrade. It being in Brazil, one thing about Lauren Murphy, she's in a ton of fights that could have been easily scored against her. I thought she could have lost that Andrea Lee fight. She could have lost the Joanne Calderwood fight. In fact, how did she not lose the Joanne Calderwood fight? But regardless, there's fights that she could have lost, but it's in the U.S. and it's a close decision and they scored for not going to happen in Brazil. She's going to have to finish Andrade or put on an absolute beatdown and I don't think either case materializes. So Andrade either finishes her with that snatch, that, that snazzy little guillotine choke of hers or uh, more than likely it's one of these rugged type of you know, brawling affairs, but Andrade is going to be landing the heavier shots, can back her up against the cage, maybe score a few takedowns need be. But last thing I'll, I'll admit, instead of like, hey, let, let me put my house on this thing. First of all, as Pat Man would tell you, women's MMA, and this kind of line, buyer beware. But the second thing is, it, it's the exact same case where my, my worry is with Burns, with Jessica Andrade, it's the same thing. There is a world that exists where they could get tired, okay? Because they exert a lot of energy, they're not known for the deepest gas tank going. And in both cases, Neil Magny and Lauren Murphy, not world beaters, you know, but, but but what's one good characteristic about them? That they'll fight the full 15. They got good cardio. They got some decent durability. They'll still be there. So Andrade's got a minor P's and Q's a little bit. But again, she's, she's the more skilled fighter in pretty much every element, and she's getting the hometown fight. She's got to win. I wouldn't put her on the top ticket because there's like that tiny little bit of hesitancy because of the things I mentioned. But yeah, she's like, Second ticket, third ticket, she's going to be up there. Just, I don't know if I want it all riding on it. Yeah, I, I hear her. I, I echo pretty much all the same sentiments as you. The, the, the What I've been considering betting this week is is Andrade inside the distance. I see like some plus 200s out there. I don't think that's a terrible look. Laura Murphy has been historically incredibly durable. Um, but I think she's given up a lot of, you know, strength, power, speed tenacity in this spot like if Andrade really wants to hunt to take or hunt hunt to finish here I think she can find it even though Laura Murphy's been really 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 durable over the years um that's probably where I will put money on I haven't put money on it yet um I want to see how you know I don't, I don't have any worries about Andrade making weight she's been making straw weight recently so 125 should be no problem whatsoever um, just waiting for more options to open up and, and see where I can go from there. Cause I'm not, you can't really go like KO or submission. Cause she mixes both of those in, um, inside the distance around the plus 200 range seems like a decent look in my humble opinion. We got Johnny Walker taking on Paul, the bear Jew Craig minus 190 for Johnny Walker plus 165 for Paul Craig. I mean, I I parlayed Johnny Walker. He was plus one seventy or minus one seventy five on the ticket with Gilbert Burns. It got me up to like plus one oh two with like a parlay bonus on top of that. And then he was like plus one oh seven when you factor in the parlay bonus. John, like hopefully Johnny doesn't. I was on Johnny and got him by what uh, by submission with those crazy props last time when he took on Ian Kutalaba. <laughs> Because I knew that he had a good BJJ game. We do not want to engage whatsoever with Paul Craig in BJJ in this fight. If Paul Craig falls back to his back, we do not follow him down there. Like, too many times has that happened with people. And I know the risks I am taking, 
by, you know, expecting Johnny Walker to fight a very smart fight, keep it up standing. Because um, I think on the feet, I don't think this is remotely competitive between the two of them. I've never really been all that impressed by Paul Craig's striking. Like, I mean, go watch, like, the, the Shogun Hua fights. Um, like, the ghost of Shogun Hua is, like, still landing shots on him. It's not really all that dominant. Um, and Paul Craig's wrestling is pretty bad. It's, he, the guy's mostly just a guard puller at this point. Um, I always fade Paul Craig, and and I've paid the price many times because he finds a way to get people to fall into his trap. But if this fight stays standing, if Johnny Walker just you know pushes him away, keeps him off of him, maybe has to engage a little bit against the fence to uh, you know to stop a takedown attempt, I don't think it's remotely close on the feet. So that's why I've got Johnny Walker parlayed with Gilbert Burns. What do you think? I like Johnny Walker as well. I think Johnny Walker, at his best, he's kind of already done this matchup with Misha Cherkinov. Here's a guy with excellent grappling who's going to try to take you down and uh, can't strike. Can't strike, and as a result, the fight's going to start standing, and I'll spark him before he gets going. He's got an ability to knock guys out quick. As you said, you know, I got to trust on Johnny Walker to fight smart. He's not that explosive, charismatic KO artist anymore. Like, he, he actually does fight smart. Now, it sucks. It sucks to not have... Our old boy Johnny Walker do what he does. But uh, John Cavanaugh on SPG Ireland has totally took this guy and switched the mold. As a result, though, he does fight a lot smarter. His fight with Thiago Santos was absolute trash. Total trash. But he fought smart. He stayed too smart for his own good and ended up losing a decision. But stayed to the outside, fainted, used his distance, stayed out of harm's way. He can just matador a guy like Thiago Santos. Paul Craig's not going to be able to chase him down and get a takedown. Like you said, he's not a takedown artist. He can maybe fall to the ground. He can maybe get dropped to the ground and you get antsy in the pants. He jump on top of him and he grabs something. But like in terms of him scoring those clean takedowns, it's few and far between. Johnny Walker's tall. He's rangy. He's got good footwork. This is going to be a big cage and he's going to be able to utilize every little bit of it. So if he chooses to just not engage Paul Craig and stay to the outside, yeah, he'll be able to just do that and then just pot shot and pot shot. Now pot shot is not going to work at the highest level, but it's going to work against Paul Craig. It's going to work against Paul Craig because he's got no striking defense, first of all. So all you need is that one shot down the middle. You can hit him whenever you want. Second of all, he's going to get flustered. He'll drop his hands. He'll try to charge forward. Uh, he's, he, he, and I just feel like Johnny Walker can dictate all the range, keep the fight standing. He's got the power to knock him out. He's a much better striker. And I, like you, fade Paul Craig every time. Have I paid for it? Yeah, of course I paid for it. He's got a submission win over the guy fighting in the main event. <laughs> He's got a submission win over the guy that should be fighting in the main event, Magomed Ankalaev. The guy's an absolute stud in terms of the wins that he has. He's not an absolute stud in terms of watch the footage, man. Like, he's capable of beating anybody. He's proven that. Okay. Outside of that, the wrestling's not there. The striking's not there. His chin's not there. Durability's not there. I think he's 35 years old, so I don't see him he's going to make these marginal improvements. He's got nasty jiu-jitsu, but it has to be off of his back. And if you just fight a smart game plan and don't engage him, I feel like uh, I feel like you you should be able to just put it together. That Volkan Uzdemir fight, I was certain Volkan was going to stuff the takedowns and just sleep them. And Volkan stuffed all the takedowns, but looked awful. His striking looked awful. His output looked awful. At no point did he have any sense of urgency. He let him off the hook, and he still won the fight, like not comfortably, but comfortably enough. Johnny Walker will put together a much better game plan, I think. So, got it. Got to go with Johnny Walker. Um, I agree. I, like, is he parlay material? I don't know. Minus 190 still not a great price tag. And he's someone that's going to be in a very, very wild and 
chaotic fight. But yeah, I think he wins, man. I'm going to agree with that part anyways. All right. We got Ihor Poteria taking on Mauricio Shogun Hua. How the mighty have fallen, Cody. Minus 210, Poteria. Plus 180 for Shogun. What's your thoughts on this one? Yeah, so Pateria is one of these guys that, I, you know, if they would have just released him and said oh, he kind of had a fraudulent record coming into the Contender Series, I don't think anybody would have absolutely faulted them. His record looks abysmal. Uh, what do you really know about him? And then on his fight on the Contender Series, he could strike. The guy, the guy can bang. He's got some power. Is it striking world class? No, but clearly that's his dominant arc. That's where he's most comfortable. And he's going to be able to land some shots and at least get some respect, some attention. His fight with Nick Negamarion. The issue with that fight is that Nigamarianu is coming from a Romanian wrestling base, spends all of his time in Las Vegas now, had worked on that grind, durability, and takedowns. And like quite literally, the only thing the guy's got in his back pocket is maybe a takedown or two. And he's he's tough. He comes forward and he's tough. So to a guy like you, are not a good style matchup for him because he just wants to stay at range, land his kicks, land those strikes, weak takedown defense, weak grappling. Uh, his speed was just completely neutralized as soon as he hit the ground. And Nigga Mariano is able to put a beating on him, take him out in a second. So is he limited? Absolutely. Is there a bunch of guys in the roster that beat him? Absolutely. And I think in some regards, that's what they're trying to give Shogun. Shogun's already said it's his last fight. So that alone, you and I aren't betting on him because we've mm -hmm. talked about this story many, many times. You're going to announce your retirement before the fight. You're not going to win. Never happens. If he's if he's gonna go out there and just well I want one last fight then Dana and company are gonna be like okay we need a guy with three things first of all he's got to be considered not all that good he's got to be a limited guy on the roster not at someone who's top twenty five it's like okay well Eeyore fits that it's like perfect second of all you know Shogun is a legendary striker so you know at, at best we want someone that's at least gonna strike with them a little bit okay well Eeyore is gonna do that. Third of all, it's Shogun's last fight. So the fans in Brazil, especially, don't want to see someone with a grappling advantage trip him up to the ground and, and just dominate him on the ground. Okay, well, Igor's not going to do that. So he seems like the perfect fighter, but he's way faster than him. He hits hard. He's, you know, a spring chicken in comparison. He's got better footwork. I just think he's going to land something. He's going to put him away. He showed in that Sadolsky fight on the Contender Series that he absolutely does have good power. He can hit you. You know, comfortable with his striking, decent kicks. Shogun, Shogun, you, you remember him like Chuck Liddell or Rampage Jackson. Or these guys that were like super badass at one point. And then when they fell off, they fell off very rapidly. Chuck's chin's gone. All of a sudden, his skill set's not there anymore. Tito's not there anymore. Rampage Jackson's not there anymore. None of these guys are there anymore. Shogun, sadly enough, not there anymore. The results speak for themselves. He had a, like a late resurgence in like 20 you know, 18 maybe, beats Noguera in the trilogy match that nobody asked for in 2020. It's a win, but watch back that fight first and foremost. He looks awful. He's slow. If, you, if you've seen the first fight, it's one of the best fights of all times. If you've seen the second fight, it's a pretty dope fight. This third fight's trash because neither guy's the same guy anymore, right? They're two legends. At least the UFC did a good job of matching two older legends together, but he's not the same anymore. The Paul Craig fight, the Paul Craig fight is terrible because if you watch the first one, Paul's got one career knockout win, and it's from like his British regional scene days back in the day. He's got no striking. He's got no real power standing, and yet he absolutely mauls Shogun with his striking game in the first fight. In the second game, I don't even know why they ran this one back because it was a draw. Sure, let's see it again. And uh, Paul Craig just way too much for him. Handedly beats him up. He should have retired then and there. He came back for the Auburn St. Proof fight. He looked better, I suppose, but I think it was just circumstantial. Obviously, St. Prue looked awful. They both looked awful. 
It was not a good fight. It was another one of these, let's run it back. They've already fought each other before. They don't got any matchups for him. Eeyore just seems like a guy that's a body that's going to strike and at least give him a, you know, a final farewell. But I've seen this happen many times before. A guy with like one eighth of the skill level beats them because of where they're at in their current journey. And I think Eeyore's just going to hit him. He's going to hit him with something. He's going to catch him with something early. He's going to put Shogun away. I hate to say it. I'm a long, lifelong Shogun fan. First UFC I ever went to, Shogun Machida 2 in Montreal, Quebec. The guy's a legend. He's an absolute legend. But uh, every legend has its day, and uh, it's time to say farewell, unfortunately. And announcing the retirement beforehand, you know, if you want to look at the numbers on that, it's like 98% of the time the guy loses. There was one time I think Faber announced he was going to retire, beat Pickett, and come back for a fight six months later and lost. Like, it, 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 I don't know. You know you know better than anybody, so I don't got to explain it to you. I hate to say I agree with you, and I'm not even really going to add anything to it. I hope I'm wrong. I'm picking Ehor. I won't be betting on this fight. That's really all I've got to say about that one. We move on down. We've got Gregory Rodriguez taking on Bruno Ferreira. Gregory Rodriguez, minus 300 favor. Ferreira can be had for plus 250. I took a shot on Ferreira here. He's way undersized. He's like 5'10". Very, they call him like the Brazilian Hulk. He's very, very strong. Obviously, we saw him on the Contender Series. I watched some of his other like regional fights, too. I thought he had, like, a decent little wrestling game. Like, I think he, this guy's half decent. The, my problem with Gregory Rodriguez, certified tough. Oh, my God, against Chidi. It's just, like, his face was falling off of him. And, like, he still fought, like, he still went to war. I think he's got a, probably has a, well, definitely has a size advantage. He's going to be, like, five inches taller. The guy's built. Like, he's super, super strong. He could definitely take Ferreira down, control him down there, I think. A little bit win some rounds that way but like if this is just becomes a slug fest like we've seen Gregory Rodriguez the striking defense isn't great Armin Petrosian was able to land like 127 significant strikes on him like I think this fight not because I don't think like you know if you if this was like this is always like the issue that you run into like with people who like with like picks versus like betting right it's just like if I was just gonna pick this fight who I think wins more often than not I would lean towards Gregory Rodriguez maybe I would say like 60 65 percent of the time but the odds um at plus 250 I got it at plus 260 it's not a big bet by any stretch of the imagination um I think this fight is closer I think this Bruno guy hopefully maybe he can find like a dietitian, find a way to get down to um 170 because I like a lot of the skills that I see um, from this guy. It's a tough debut to be making in the UFC. Don't get me wrong. He's obviously coming on short notice for this spot. But uh, I'm going to pick Bruno uh, Ferrer for the purposes of this show. But I've already, yeah, I bet him a plus 260. I think it's just a little bit too wide. I think we got a live dog uh, in Bruno Ferrer. What about you? Yeah, I love dog. I think that the guy absolutely hits. He's got big, big power. He's going to be one of these guys with a puncher's chance, but I don't like the spot necessarily for him. The line looks good. If you were backing him, I would feel good about the plus money that you're able to get, but a couple issues. So watching tape on him is takedown defense, not all that good. So Bruno, uh, sorry, Gregory Rodriguez, his ring IQ is not super high. Like he generally does engage these guys and in, in, in just battles with his stand-up. If he plays this smart and shoots the takedown, BJJ Blanc felt very solid, 
good at taking the back, you know, very good control. I think he can win rounds like that. I think he can tire him out. I think it'd be a great game plan. The other thing with Gregory Rodriguez is you know that he can come back from a little bit of adversity, but you also know that he can fight later into rounds. He can fight a second round. He can fight a third round. My issue with Bruno Ferreira is that everything's a first round route. His last three fights is minute 35 in the contender series, minute 53 when he won the big shot MMA title, uh, 440 of the first round in the fight before that, 12 seconds of the second round in the fight before that. Those all fight four fights in 2012. All four of them done in the first round. One of them in the second round, 12 seconds into the second round. He's a first round guy. He can come out here and he can go hard for that first round, but we don't know that he can go a hard second in the third round. Where again, with Gregory Rodriguez, you do know that you can. So we know we got the wrestling and grappling advantage. We've got the, the cardio advantage. Hopefully the durability is going to keep up long enough to get it. And then the last but not least is if you were a first-round finishing guy with potentially suspect cardio, making a UFC debut, at least you could train for it. But he's taking this fight on like a week's notice for Brad Tavares. So is he in shape? Is he ready to go? Is he going to be able to beat up Gregory in the first round and then continue that onslaught in the second and the third? Or is he maybe going to have a good first two, three, four minutes and eventually get taken down, tire out, give up his back and get choked out. That seems like the more likely scenario. Short notice, UFC debut, undersized, limited wrestling. I thought wrestling so what am I looked, betting on? Just a, I thought his wrestling yeah, looked pretty good, to be honest. I watched a bunch I of his fights. I thought his takedown defense look. Yeah, no, his ground and pound looks legit. If he takes you down and he gets on top of you, he's got good ground and pound. Here's my issue with that, is that Gregory Rodriguez is good off of his back. So even if you look at the guys he's fighting, he gets away with making a lot of mistakes. And believe you me, he's making a lot of mistakes. He gets away with it. He smashes down on them. He's the Hulk. Against Rodriguez, if his game plan is settled up in his guard, he's going to have problems. But his defensive wrestling is my issue. He gives up the takedowns. And with Rodriguez, I've seen him take down much, much better guys. Even Armin Petrosian, kickboxer, training in Dagestan, takedown defense pretty good. And uh, Rodriguez is able to take him down, put him in bad spots, fight him for a hard 15 minutes. Uh, I had Armin Petrosian that night. He won. I thought he won, but I didn't feel good about it, Paul. It was an absolute war against a legitimate guy. So to me, Bruno is just too much too soon. You know, he could be legit. Maybe he drops down to 170 and he's really legit. But it's like you got to build your way towards that. Whereas Robocop, just way more established. The one little thing I'll say, we can move on, is that I, I'm not faulting you or anybody else that's taken that shot because with Rodriguez, he fights stupid game plans. Chidi had him dead. Okay, bad ref stops that fight. A good ref stops that fight. Mm -hmm. He got deaded by Chidi before he came back. If you remember his fight with Petrosian, he got all types of damage. If you remember his fight in the contender series against Jordan Williams, Jordan Williams knocked him out. His chin's not great, and he tends to brawl with guys for no apparent reason because he has such a great ground game. He just doesn't use it. So there's a world that exists where he falls right into that hand, and you guys all cash a big plus money ticket. You all get 2.4 points on tout master yeah good times for everybody but uh again i i go with like likelihood like what's the likelihood i don't care what the odds are what's the likelihood like let's say it was 65 percent. well that's good enough for me i would take gregory rodriguez see i go with the likelihood and the probability the corresponding probability of that likelihood to what the line is that's available so 65% you shouldn't be betting a minus 300, but that's for a different discussion all the way together. We got Tiago Moises taking on Melk Costa. Uh, Moises, a minus 375 favorite. Costa can be had for plus 310. Don't mind Melk Costa. Um, 
striking looks fun, dynamic, like spinning back kicks to the body. Uh, wrestling looks exploitable, and I feel like that's really going to... like Moises should be able to compete with him on the feet. He's, you know, he's a pretty decent technical boxer, but should have a massive advantage on the feet. Like, you know me, I'm always dog hunting. I'm looking for spots where I can get my money in on plus money. And, uh, you know, all of, the, all of the things being equal in this situation, I just think it's a little bit too much to ask for uh, Mel Costa to... Uh, I'm calling him Mel because I am not trying to pronounce that first name that he's got there. We're calling him Mel because that's his nickname according to Tapology. Um, yeah, I think Tiago Moises should absolutely dominate this fight by getting takedowns, holding position... Maybe even finds a submission. I, I, you know, Moises hasn't always been a big time finisher, so like I'm not running to the books to to lay cash on it. But uh, there does seem to be some red wrestling inadequacies in Costa's game that are going to keep me away from touching the dog. And minus three seventy five seems about right to me. Uh, Moises is the pick. What about you? Yeah, I'm going to agree. It looks like Costa has deficiencies in his wrestling defense. He gives up easy takedowns. And a lot of his offense seems to be predicated on kicking. He throws a ton of kicks. So even if Thiago couldn't take him down on a clean takedown, he's going to catch one of these kicks and convert it into a takedown. Now, once you're on the ground with Thiago Moises, I mean, he's an excellent Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner, black belt, someone that would compete at a fairly high level. And he's got a good smothering top game. So if you get taken down once or twice... It's going to be a problem. Costa has a decent get-up game, but again, I think Thiago Moises is going to be uh, one of these guys that's a lot harder to get up than some of these guys you fought on the Bra Brazilian regional scene. With Moises as well, he's one of these guys that, um, you know, is not the sexiest name within the division, right? 155-pounder, well, what's he really done for me recently? However, the guy is actually super legit. All of his losses are to legit competition. He fought Benil Dariush. He fought Islam Makachev. He actually went to the fourth round with Islam Makachev. It's something most guys seemingly are not able to even come close to. And then even his fight with Joel Alvarez, Alvarez just kind of bum-rushed him out the gate and was able to clip him. But Alvarez is, you know, a, a top-level fighter. Even his wins, Bobby Green, Michael Johnson, Alexander Hernandez, solid victories. So maybe he's not a guy with a huge name. He doesn't talk a great game. He's not the most popular fighter. But you know he's got legitimate skills. He's got some pretty solid durability. He's got decent wrestling. He's got great grappling. His last fight with Christos Giagos. Giagos is an animal of a man. Very physically strong. Good wrestler. Solid jiu-jitsu. And for the first round, this guy looks like a world beater for one round. Then his cardio falls off. Moises beat him in the first three minutes. He beat him everywhere he wanted to. He took his back. He took him down. He got the takedown. He took his back. He sinks in the rear naked choke. This is Giagos fresh and at his best. Moises just buzzsaws right through. That's a very, very difficult fight for somebody making their UFC debut. And that's what Costa's doing. He's making his debut against a gatekeeper of the top 10 of the division. So very difficult proposition. Again, is the striking good? Yes. Could he, in theory, beat Tiago Moises in a pure striking battle? If it was a pure striking battle, Moises will hold his own, but maybe Costa could beat him in that regard. But he's going to throw too many kicks. Something's going to get caught. Moises is going to take him down on a clean takedown. And when the fight hits the ground, it's Moises' domain. So, uh, yeah, this is one of the bigger favorites on the card that you can definitely agree with. But um, I don't. I wouldn't put him on my top ticket, but I, he's someone that is going to command some respect and be higher up this week. All right, we got Gabriel Bonfim taking on Munir Lazez. Minus 170 for Gabriel Bonfim. Plus 150 for Lazez. What are your thoughts here, bud? 
I originally picked Bomb Theme, like in my head. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I like this guy. He looked good in the Contender Series. There's a lot that you can like about him. And then with Munir Lazez, you know, just a iffy kind of guy, I suppose. But I, I, I switched it. I think I'm going to take the dog shot over here on Munir Lazez. So with Bomb Theme, guy's an absolute badass. 100% guy's an absolute badass, okay? Look back at this fight with Brenner Alberth, right? Who's 8 0, he's LFA World Grand Prix. He takes a lot of damage, man. Like, he's there to get hit. His head's straight up in the air. He's got a nasty jab. He's got big power. But, like, he's very hittable, and he doesn't wear the damage particularly well. So he wins the fight, but it was a Grand Prix. He was supposed to fight later that night against Carlos Leal. And then if you just click on Tapology, Von Fiem suffering concussion-like symptoms. So what happened was he got shit-kicked against Brenner Albert. It's a tough fight. And then after the fight, he has a concussion. And they're like, yeah, you can't continue. So the guy's badass. What I'm saying is he's a little bit too hittable for my liking. So now this fight with Trey Waters on the Contender Series. Trey Waters is like big and tall. That's mm-hmm. kind of like the only thing he had going for him, right? And then with Gabriel Bonfim, he's 6'1". So like he, he he's a tall guy as well, but he's only got a 72-inch reach. So he's giving up five inches of reach to uh, Trey Waters. And if you watch the fight, again, he's got a beautiful jab. He does not look comfortable. He gets hit with a bunch of check left hooks. His head's in the air when he retreats out. He's going to be there to get hit. Now, he scores an easy little takedown. Not that his wrestling is great, but a nice little takedown. And then Yvonne, Yvonne Flew's Trey Waters is just not all that good. So my takeaways is that he actually is not all that comfortable dealing with taller fighters that are rangy guys. He, he wasn't great at killing that distance, getting around from it. He gets hit a little bit too much. His grappling's okay. And in his cardio, the longer the fights go, there's going to be an accumulation of damage on him. Manuelis Zesmi, while six foot one, they're the same height, but he's got the four-inch reach advantage. He's a long fighter. He fights like a long fighter. In that first debut fight against uh, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, four easy money takedowns. His striking was heavy, looked good. The Worley Alves fight, he shit the bed. He ate one nasty body kick, pooped his pants, and then called it a day. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a joke of a fight. But man, against Andre Lucen his last time out, he looked good. He's big, he's strong, he's training at a high level, he commands the outside of the octagon well, he's got good volume, he's got good takedown defense. I think he poses Bonfim a bunch of problems. And so I need some underdogs on this card. I don't think I've picked one to this point. This is going to be my first one. Now, you're going to invest the house in it? No, no. But again, straight picks, got to get some guys in. There's going to be some underdogs here and there. I think Lezez is the underdog. I think it's the best shot to this point. I'm in agreement with you. I think that Munir Lezez is the much more technical, uh, much more technical striker. I, I am a little bit concerned about like Bonfim. He showed on some of his LFA fights and showed on Contender Series that if he can get the fight to the mat, he's got some real opportunistic su- submission skills. Like he can finish the show that way. Um, that's definitely on the table here. Maybe that's why I don't actually get to a bet uh, on Munir Lazez. But, yeah, I saw a lot of the same things as you. It's like on the feet, especially in that Waters fight, he didn't look all that comfortable. Um, I'm not comfortable laying minus 170 against a credible opponent, not exactly a high-level opponent. You know, Bonfim's only 25 years old. Lots of time to improve. He's 10 years younger than Munir Lazez. This is like the finished product that we're probably seeing from Munir Lazez. Two years from now, we could be like, ha, remember back in the day when we picked uh, Bonf- or we picked uh, Lazez against Bonfim? And we can, we can all laugh about it and that type of thing. Like maybe he'll make crazy improvements over the next little bit. 
But I see some holes in the game, and I don't really want to lay. If, if the line was flipped, I'd probably jump onto the other side. But, uh, you know, minus 170, I got to lay the wood to uh, to bet Gabriel Bonfim. I think he's a good prospect, and I think he's got a lot of skills and a lot of room to grow. But I'm not willing to, to bet it. I'll pick uh, Munir Lazez with you in this spot. Moving on down, we got Jailton Almeida taking on Shamil Abdurakhimov. Minus 900 for the jail man. Uh, Shamil can be had for plus 600. I mean, this this line's wild, bro. Am I going to step in front of the jail man? I have no intentions to do so. But, like, I have considered, and I don't want to do it. I have considered the over one and a half rounds, which is, like, priced at plus 275. You know, Shamil's an actual heavyweight. He's like 258 pounds. Jailton came in at 216 against uh, Turkali in a fight that was a 220 catch weight last time out. I like Jailton, but I think Jailton's like championship aspirations are not at heavyweight. I think his championship aspirations are at 205. And I'm kind of questioning why he continues to fight in the heavyweight division when he's like 220, 216, like... He is not like cutting weight. Like I feel like, and like trust me, against Parker Porter, it really didn't matter. He just absolutely mauled the guy, no questions asked. Now he's taking on a guy from Dagestan, a slow plodding guy um, in Abdurakhimov. Don't get me wrong, and you know he's long in the tooth. He's been knocked out in his last two fights. Like I'm not judging the fact that Almeida 100% should be a favorite and a sizable favorite. But what if he doesn't get the takedown? Like, that's what we really haven't seen too much of in his UFC run here. It's like he takes guys down. He absolutely smashes them to bits. But it's like, what if he has, what if he's forced to stand? Like, you know, this is the same Shamil Abdurakhimov who, you know, had to, he was up three rounds against Derek Lewis back in 2016. Now, 2016, years ago. What, six years ago at this point. But yeah, he was up three rounds. This is a three-round fight. He was up three rounds because, yeah, he was just like, you know, a little bit faster, a little bit more fleet of foot against Derek Lewis back in the day. I haven't seen enough from, like, Jailton in terms of his, like, stand-up striking that, like, if plan A, which is take you down, smash you to bits and find a submission doesn't work what's plan b so i'm picking them but i'm terrified of minus 900 i don't really know what to do with that line because he's actually taking on a real heavyweight with at least somewhat of a complete skill set and i'm interested potentially in this over one and a half because it's just so wide maybe maybe we can get seven and a half minutes of action he doesn't kill shamil abdurakhimov uh you know, in the first round. So that's where my head's at on it. Jailton's the pick, but not betting it. What about you? Yeah, I feel like Jailton rolls him up. Like, I don't know that I would say he's minus 900. Because, again, heavyweights, heavyweights be heavyweights. Don't want to go down that road. Like, I, I get it. There's a lot of inadvertent risk here. But his style should just smash on Abdurakimov, who's essentially just a jobber to the stars. He comes in. He fights some of the best guys in the division. He gets rolled up, and then he goes back. Keep in mind, UFC 279. Jelton Almeida versus Shamil Abdurakimov. Abdurakimov says, oh, I got visa issues. So they say, no worries. We'll just book it at UFC 280. And he says, okay, I'm actually hurt. 
They says, okay, no worries. Let us know when you're good again, and you can fight them. Like, they, they want this matchup for a very specific reason. I don't think this takedown defense is all that good. I'll give him a pass on getting taken down five times by Curtis Blades because he's probably the best wrestler in the division. But all the same, his takedown defense is a little bit soft. He's not great off his back. He's there to get ground and pounded. His chin's not what it used to be. He hasn't fought in a year. Uh, he, again, like, I, I know he's fighting really good guys, but, like, Chris Doukas just absolutely thrashed him, beat him up, dropped him twice in the first round. Pavlovich, you give him a pass because it's a world-class guy, but he's just taken a whole lot of damage. It's mm-hmm. not quite what he used to be. And with Jelton Almeida, why does he fight at heavyweight? I think it's because heavyweight's such a weak division. It's like, man, I can beat a bunch of these guys. I can be a world-class 205-er, but I can just low-key beat a bunch of these guys and stay busy fights on the side. So who did they give him? Parker Porter. Well, Parker Porter's 265 pounds. He's not just a heavyweight. He's a big, thick meatball of a man. And yeah, he just takes him down one single takedown and then thrashes him. What about Anton? Anton's like a Swedish wrestling standout. You know, guy's a heavyweight. He was 220. I don't know. It wasn't really all that big, but he just takes him down the one time and thrashes him. When he fought on the ultimate, when he fought on the contender series against uh, Nasruddin Nasruddinov, dude, that guy was legit. He's solid. And so it's like, man, you don't want to grapple with this guy. He gets his way. He's built like a Brazilian GI Joe action figure, and then he goes out there and performs like one. You know, he wants to fight to the ground. He gets to fight to the ground. Now, is Abdurakimov good enough to? Is he defensively sound enough to survive the five minutes, the seven and a half minutes, the two rounds? Like, I don't think so. If he's standing. And they're not exchanging, and they're standing at each other. Yeah, time will tick off the clock. If Jailton goes out there and takes him down, and he's got to spend four and a half minutes on his back, four minutes on his back, I don't think he makes it, man. So uh, I got Almeida. I'll chase a better price with going Almeida inside the distance. Almeida by submission. Yeah, you're not getting better prices, though. Yeah, yeah. It's it, this is this is this week's version of Umar Nurmagomedov from from last week's card, right? It's like he's minus nine hundred. And he's probably going to beat Rowney Barcelos. And you're so tempted to take a little bit of shot at Rowney just because the, the price is outrageous. And then you watch the fight. Tough to watch, by the way. And, like, Rowney never been knocked out before. And Umar's striking because I felt like an idiot because I said it in our preview last week. I was like, striking's not that good. It's a little bit stiff. It's a little bit robotic. Pro, how wrong was I? Striking looked amazing. Knocks out Rowney Barcelos. Didn't see that one coming. But... Yeah, they're minus 900. You don't feel great about it, but they're there for a reason. Almeida can do the same thing. He can win this fight inside of three minutes. He's going to look like a minus 900. But similar to a couple of the other fights on the card that we've already discussed, the longer the fight goes, yeah, he's dealing with a 265-pound man. And his striking, like you said, well, he, he might not have any striking. He might not have a plan B. He might not have an ability to go deep. I, I, I keep pointing out, too, you'll see on his MMA record, he's beat a bunch of guys. But this Rene Pessoa, he got rear naked choke two and a half minutes into the first round. It's a grappling match that happened less than a year ago, right? January, February, March. M- March of 2022. This Rene Pessoa guy is a middleweight. Fights at 185 pounds. And he choked him out two and a half minutes into the first round. Jailton might look the part. Don't know that he's fully as the man yet. I'm not convinced fully. But the matchups are the right matchups for him to do what he does. That's smash. In this case... They've, they've, this is the third time they've booked this matchup for a reason. And then he takes him down and he smashes. I am convinced he is the man. I'm just not convinced he's the man at heavyweight. I just okay, think, that's fair. I just that's think fair. pushing, like, if he's not able to get him out of there early, pushing around a dude that's 40, 45 pounds heavier than you is exhausting. And, you know... It, I mean, and as I was saying, it's like inside the distance, he's like minus 550. Um, him by submission is minus 175. Like, 
It's uh, it's rightfully juiced. He's the kid looks like an absolute stud. I guess we shouldn't call him a kid. He's pretty, uh, you know, he's pretty developed at this point. But yeah, I mean, it's a really really tough spot. Um, yeah, the inside the distance props are pretty short already. That was the difference last week. Is like I ended up on Umar inside the distance partially because of fandom. Um, but yeah, plus two hundred on Umar inside the distance. Um, that was, that was a great little play worked out. I mean, it worked out. Was it a great play? Did I think he was going to knock him out on the feet? No. Did it play out completely differently? Uh, yes. I think I was giving Umar more credit for his striking than a lot of people. Like I had seen some good stuff that I had liked and it's only onwards and upwards for cousin Umar, obviously. All right, moving on down. We've got Terrence McKinney taking on Ishmael Bonfim minus 130 for McKinney. Plus 110 for Bonfim. Like any Terrence McKinney fight, it will be fireworks from the opening bell. Um, but... On the one and a half, what? It, yeah, I mean, there. see, when we first started doing this, and like it was his first fight on the in the UFC, I think I got like under two and a half rounds, was like plus 115. Under one and a half rounds was like plus 155 I watched a little bit of tape on this guy and I was just like under machine and you know now the books have adjusted it's to the under it's minus 225 like the guy's an under machine the gas tank doesn't really quite seem to be there um he goes out there and tries to get rid of you as quick as humanly possible It'll be fun as long as it lasts. I'm going to pick him to get the job done here. Rewatched a few of Ishmael Bonfim's fights. I wasn't all that impressed. Uh, watched his fight on Contender Series particularly closely. And I don't know. Like, he won. He landed some half-decent strikes. But it's like, is he going to be able to take that tenacity early on that is coming from uh from Terrence I'm not entirely sure the guy's on a hell of a run obviously he's the older brother of the Bonfim brothers um but yeah round three well I guess round three probably doesn't really matter round three against Naraman Abbasov he was definitely tiring out but yeah he's taking on Terrence McKinney we're probably not getting there uh anyway um I'll pick Terrence McKinney but yeah this is more of a you either bet McKinney pre-flop or you wait for McKinney to to blow his load as he usually does in most of his losses and take his opponent if you can do it in a live market. Like that's the best way if the under is already sufficiently juiced, which minus two twenty five to the under one and a half, it's pretty sufficiently juiced to be perfectly honest. So I'll pick McKinney. Uh don't know if I'm gonna be getting there with my wallet. What about you? I could look real bad on this one because Terrence McKinney could spark him and I'll just look stupid. But I got to take Bombfeam, actually. Terrence McKinney is extremely talented. I think we all know that about him. The guy is very fast, very athletic, massively explosive, huge, huge power. That straight left hand of his, honestly, is extremely accurate. It's extremely well-timed, and it does a tremendous amount of damage. His wrestling is very good. You know, he's very explosive. Guy wrestled in college. Guy's got the goods there. The one issue with Terrence McKinney, to me, is that I've seen him be the world's best hammer a bunch of times. I've seen him be a nail a few times, and it didn't look good. In fact, I don't think he's ever really come back from adversity in almost any of his fights, right? If you go back to his fight, well, the Tyrone Henderson fight, he breaks his leg like 39 seconds in. Sean Woodson fight. The first round of the contender series against Sean Woodson, he 
smokes Sean Woodson. He takes him down at will. He smashes him on the ground. It's easy money. The second round, he's tired. He's tired because everything he does is too explosive. It's fast. It's fast twitch. It's foot on the gas, 100%. Red line there. Exert yourself to the end, and he's either knocked out or you're knocked out. And so you'll that'll get away. You'll get be able to get away with a lot of uh, against a lot of guys like that, but it's going to catch up to you. So Woodson he smashes him in the first round. The second round Woodson's very tall, right? So he just kind of steps him with like a step in knee to the face. They call it a flying knee. Woodson's so tall he really didn't really fly up all that high. But yeah, it's a cool highlight reel KO, and you can blame it on all oh, well he just made a rookie mistake. That's fine. But again, you saw him in a spot where he won the first round, start to tire, makes one mistake, knocked out. The next fight against Derek Minner, which to my knowledge was not a fixed fight. He takes Derek Minner down right into a triangle choke. And as soon as Derek starts applying the pressure, McKinney wants out. He wants out of there. He taps out. That loss certainly did not age very well. Now, the wins, 16 seconds, 17 seconds, minute 12, UFC debut, 7 seconds. Mm -hmm. Fraz Zayam, that was a nice win, don't get me wrong. 2-11, he smashes these guys. Now, Dober, he's smashing Dober. He's got Dober dead to rights. And Drew, you know this because you mentioned it every single time. You are absolutely right. His head, he's got like a gnome head on him, man. You're going to knock this guy out? No, man. His head's built for concussive blows. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as Dober got up and returned fire, people were saying early stoppage. How come the ref let Dober take all of that but didn't let McKinney? McKinney's done. His body language is, I'm done. As soon as he gets hit, he kind of folds it in. And then, you know, the win over Eric Gonzalez is the first round finish again. So we know he's a front runner. We know he's capable of my, one of my favorite fighters of all times. Kevin, the monster Randleman was the exact same way. He could do it all. He could strike. He knocked out Krokop. He could wrestle. He's a two-time NCAA um, uh, national champion. Guy's an absolute legend. He's in the hall of fame. Most, more explosive and athletic than anybody. Ended his career like 17 and 13, right? Almost lost as much as he won. Why? Because you can use that athleticism the smart way or the entertaining way. McKinney does the entertaining way. His durability is not quite there for me. So with Ishmael Bomfim, all three of his pro losses are actually by submission. That's a little bit troubling, but I think he's only lost once in the last six or seven years. He's on like a real good run right now, 13 straight wins. Uh, Hanato Meccano was the last guy to submit him, so not terrible company. He's also got a loss to Adriano Marais. Like, Like, come on, this is not bad company. So McKinney probably can't take him down with his wrestling. And McKinney's got a nasty rear naked choke, and he's one of these power guys. So maybe he's able to just power him to the ground early and finish him early. That left hand, it's huge. Maybe he's able to just split the guard early. We've seen Bombfim get touched up a little bit on the contender series. Maybe you can get to him early. I agree McKinney could win this fight and look like a million bucks doing it. I just keep going back to the fact that if he faces the smallest amount of adversity in this fight, I think he's going to pack it up. Now, here's what we do like about Bomfim, because we just talked about the incredible features of Terrence McKinney. What about uh, Bomfim? 26 years old. He's the older of the Bomfim brothers. He seems a lot more well-rounded uh, to me. Solid win streak. Beating some okay guys, but he's got good cardio. He mixes it up to the body extremely well. He's never been KO'd. He seems to have very good eyes, right? And I just feel like he's going to be able to chip away and get the job done. His fight with Naraman Abasov, I bet Naraman Abasov, okay? Abasov, for those who don't know, is a mean, mean man. He came into the fight on a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 12 fight winning streak. Those wins included wins over Muraf Parayev, right? Total badass. 
Shamil Zavarov. Shamil Zavarov is the line of Chechnya. The guy's a legend, an absolute legend of the game. Kwat Kamatov, badass. Ugar Tag, um, Umar Tagarov, seven and one, is a pretty solid badass. All he did was smash guys, Abasov, and come at you hard for two minutes. Or sorry, for two rounds. Um, durable, never been knocked out, hasn't lost a fight in eight years. The guy's an absolute problem, and and. I bet him, no, Bomb Fiend. Bomb Fiend's 26 years old, man. This kid's going to be good. His footwork's good. His ability to mix up his punches are good. Even when Abasov starts breaking through and coming forward and that, like, constant pressure starts to get to him, he he strikes excellent moving backwards. Like, he moves good off his back foot, strikes good off his back foot, good counter-punching, good timing. I feel like he's going to intercept McKinney with something. He's just going to clip McKinney with something, hurt McKinney. After that, turn up the pressure, and I think Terrence McKinney folds. Now, this is probably not great advice. Betting as Terrence McKinney is always a dicey proposition. But dog number two will be the younger Ishmael Bonfim. Or sorry, he's the older Bonfim. But uh, dog number two will be uh, the second brother because I faded the first one. We're going. We're going to fade. We're going to go with the second one. Sorry, Ishmael Bonfim to get the job done at plus one hundred five. It's not really dog money. Technically, dog money. Yeah, it's well, it's like it's moving. Like it seems like the action has been coming in on McKinney as the week has progressed. Probably because he has a bit of a, like a social media following, fan base, yada yada yada. People like McKinney. People are probably you know taking their heart to the to the betting window and uh, and laying some on him. I mean, I'm not gonna be shocked either way. I picked McKinney. You pick Bombfim. Not. I, I mean, now that like the. You know, cat is out on the bag on him being an absolute under machine. Uh, it's not so bad to like not necessarily have to get invested in every single McKinney fight. I can just sit back and be wildly entertained for five minutes. Not a bad proposition whatsoever. So I'll be picking them, but yeah, all of the things that you said are obviously massive. Uh, you know, red flags concerns of. He either gets guys out of there early. What's him in? Yeah, like if you're going to. But that's the thing, though, is like, you know, I've seen some people say this week, they're like, hey, like, why wouldn't you just bet him round one? What if this is the fight that he goes, you know what? After the Dober fight, you know, I've kind of changed my mentality and he comes out with a totally more reserved game plan. Like, that's probably going to happen with this kid eventually. Um,. Fair, but can I, let me count in with you with this one, right? So this kid is young. He's 28. He's exciting. People like him. He's got a great social media. He's never fought outside of the United States, okay? Mm-hmm. So now he's got to leave for the first time, travel okay. to Brazil for the first time. And he fights at the apex. He always fights at the apex with no crowd. Now he's got the Brazilian crowd. who are going to be fired up and passionate and yelling stuff and freaking out. And the energy's there. He's going to do what he does. And try to get this thing done in three minutes. That's fair. My worry is that he's going to gas out. He's going to gas out. He's going to feel the energy. He's going to hit an adrenaline dump. And Bomb Fiend's going to have his nose over to the side and one eye closed, but still coming forward. That's going to be a problem for him. Yeah, that that all I, I can totally I can picture how you just broke that down there. To be perfectly honest, so I mean I'm looking forward to the fight, but not one that I'm getting. Uh, invested in with my wallet. Uh, we've got Warley Alves taking on Nicholas Dalby. Minus 125 Alves, plus 105 for Nicholas Dalby. Dalby opened as the favorite, and it's uh, it's flipped. People like themselves from Warley, maybe because it's in Brazil. Maybe the, you know, USADA's not... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you saw him maybe not not as present down there. I don't know, allegedly. 
Um, I ended up actually... I mean, there's a lot of ways this fight can go. Warley Alves is kind of like a, almost kind of like a Terrence McKinney type of style. Um, you know, he's a kill or be killed type of fighter. Like, that wasn't always what he was like, but there was definitely a change in his strategy. Um, basically, like, after, you know, going to decision against Kamaru Usman, Salim Tuari went to decision, and then literally ever since then, it's just like this guy comes out tries to ruin you and if he doesn't in the first five minutes or so he gasses out and usually flames out so I was kind of surprised and I know it's Dolby Dolby's not necessarily a finisher by any stretch of the imagination not gonna be shocked if I lose but I took the under two and a half rounds uh minus 120 um I'm surprised that line's still actually there it's a Warley Alves fight like he's going to come out there maybe you know Jesse Ronson was able to get Dolby out of there early on in the fight um that could potentially happen for Alves or he's going to kill or die trying and Dolby can maybe uh, close him out in rounds two or three. So my investment in this one is on the under two and a half rounds. In terms of an actual pick between the two of them, like, I, I'm definitely not, like, I've had people be like, oh, there's a really good price on Alvi, like, in my DMs and stuff this week. And she's like, I'm not betting on Alvi, so that, like, Warley Alves, sorry. Um, so that after five minutes, I'm like, why did I put my hard-earned money on this gasser that, like, falls apart uh, the moment that he isn't able to get his opponent out of there? <sighs> I'll pick him. I'll pick Alves, but you can tell I'm so torn on the side here. I think the under is the play. It's an Alves fight. I just am going to continue to bet Alves fights until he shows me that, or betting, betting the under two and a half rounds in Alves fights until he shows me that um, that he's changed his style up and, and he's got a to- totally different style. But this guy comes at you super hard right out of the gate. If you like Dolby, I feel like, I would wait for like two, three minutes into round one and maybe hop onto it after Warley absolutely annihilates himself. Like that's where I would go if I was actually, I wouldn't take the plus 105 because he may get deaded in the first like two to three minutes. The most shocking result of this fight would be Dolby winning in like the first two minutes, in my humble opinion. Not exactly a potent finisher. I suppose that's why the under is at a pick'em price. But it's a Warley Alves fight. I'm not overthinking some of these spots anymore. I'm just rolling with it. Some guys are just under machines, and Warley Alves is one of those guys. Minus 120 uh, to the under is my play. Warley Alves is going to be my pick, but by the slimmest of margins. What about you? Yeah, I'm going to say both, man. I think the other two and a half looks pretty good. Worley Alves, first of all, notoriously the front runner, like you mentioned, but he hasn't fought in like 16 months, right? So he's still only 32 years old, but uh, his cardio was never good to begin with. And now he's been off the sidelines for 16 months. He will do what he normally does, which is kill or die trying. But keep in mind, all of his losses, is, he's a big favorite, man. Like Brian Barberena, he was a minus 600 favorite when he lost to him. James Krause, he was a minus 320 favorite when he lost to him. Randy Brown, minus 145. And his last time out against Jeremiah Wells, a minus 240. Like the guy is the king of shitting in your apple pie. So as much as I think he could win the fight, yeah, I see the scenarios where he blows it because it's entirely possible. It's what he does. There's even been fights with like, 
Uh, his Randy Brown fight's a great example. The first round, he takes Brown down three times. He's too strong for Randy. The second round, he's so gassed out, bro. He can't stand, and he falls right into a triangle choke and just lets him have it. Randy Brown triangle chokes him. Warley Alves is a BJJ black belt. He won the ultimate fighter. He submitted Colby Covington with a first-round guillotine choke. He's got wins over Alan Joban. He went the distance to Kamara Uzma. He's a bad guy. He's a bad man. He's a talented individual. When he shows up, which is like 50-50, man, half the time he shows up, the other half he don't. Um, Dolby, meanwhile, is not very good. He, he was serviceable at times, but uh, just like I think like he's lived a hard lifestyle. He's been very adamant on record that he was uh, an alcoholic, that his body was starting to shut down. The UFC released him. He won on Cage Warriors. If anybody remembers that fight with Cage Warriors, they called it a no contest versus Ross Houston because the the mat had too much blood. But, like, he got his ass beat by Ross Houston, took a lot of damage in that fight. It's been damaged. Now, since he's come back to the UFC, beat up by Alex Oliveira, but he comes back. And Daniel Rodriguez, I don't know how they scored that fight for him, but he gets beat up early, then he comes back. His last fight with Claudio Silva, he didn't get beat up. Claudio Silva was a bum, but his resilience is kind of the best part of his game. He's not as durable as he used to be, and that's why I can't pick him in the spot. But his ability to kind of withstand a little bit of adversity early and come back. Hell, go back to that Darren Till fight. He loses the first two rounds. In the third round, Darren Till dislocated his shoulder. So, like, it wasn't like it was all Dolby. But he put a beating on him. Got a 10-8 third round and ended up being a draw. Dolby's a guy that will fight for it. But at 38 years old, after the wear and tear of his body through his martial arts career, through his, you know, unfortunate issues in his personal life i just don't see him having it anymore and then so i go back to that claudio silva fight because you know me as better as as, uh, best as anybody i hate claudio silva i think he may be the most least talented fighter to be on the roster in quite some time i think he's absolute trash he got four takedowns over dolby man he got the takedowns when he wanted them his ground game is good against bums and dolby was able to survive all the spots and then obviously make him work my issue here with Worley Alves is he's got a nasty guillotine choke, like a legitimate grade A, Nordine Taleb, Colby Covington. This buddy, he slaps that thing on you, you're in for some trouble. I think he could snatch one up on Nicholas Dolby. If he doesn't, I think he can back him up. It's power kickboxing. Use that lead left kick to the body. Soften this guy up. Land the heavier shots. It's in Brazil. Even if it's close, they'll probably score it for you. But man, would you be surprised if Worley Alves gassed out after five minutes? No, no. Would you be surprised if Dolby got 10 aided in the first round, but still had a pulse in the second and was still fighting for the dollar? No, no. This has got a recipe for apple pie shit on it, and Worley's been that guy throughout his career. But I can only go based on what I see on the tape. How good is this guy at his best? And I just have to assume that they're at their best. Most of the time, they're not. But I have to assume that they are. Worley always at his best. He smokes Nicholas Dolby. This should not be competitive. It probably will be. But Alves is the rifle pick. 16 months off, gasser, notorious apple pie shitter. Don't put a bunch of money on him. Don't put him all the way at the top. Don't have an expectation for this guy. But I think he wins the fight. Fair enough. All right, we got Josie Ann Nunes taking on Zara Farron. Minus 500 for Nunes, plus 400 for Farron. I mean, I think Josiane Nunez should absolutely smash. I'm surprised Zara Farron's still in the organization at this point. Like, it hasn't been good. She's gotten finished in the first round in both of her appearances at this level. Megan Anderson got a 
uh, round one triangle choke finish on her, ground and pound finish for Felicia Spencer. Spencer really wasn't much of a finisher by any stretch of the imagination. Josiane Nunez, kind of like a like a Lady Lineker, may I say? Um, you know, the the jury's still out on how far she can go. She's very undersized. She's five foot two in this women's featherweight division. So it's like she's giving up a ton of reach size in a whole bunch of her fights. Um, but she's a little pit bull. She throws very, very heavy. The fact that Ramona Pasquale was able to go decision was kind of surprising because it was an absolute drubbing from start to finish. It spoke more to the fact that, I mean, we saw later with Pasquale, it's just like, maybe if he just take, took some shots to the body, she would have fallen to the ground. But, uh, but yeah, she was able to go to the full distance. That didn't scare me all that much. I grabbed, um, when it opened up, I grabbed some of the under one and a half rounds at plus 145. Now that's gotten to minus 120, I'm a little bit less inclined to take that. So I took some of that and I split my bet in two. I took the under two and a half and I took the under one and a half. Lose a little bit if it goes over the one and a half, but goes under two and a half. Obviously win both if it goes to, uh, if it's finished in the first seven and a half minutes. I haven't really seen much from Zara Farron to lead me to believe that uh, that she can really hang around with anybody. And Nunez is just going to have to barge forward, throw heavy shots. And I think from what we've seen from Farron, she will crumble. That's really all she's done in the UFC. Surprised she's getting a third shot, to be perfectly honest. But I guess in fairness to her, the opponents that she has been taking on were some of the better women at 145 pounds. So I'm on the under here, and obviously I'm picking Josiane Nunez. But uh, minus 500 just doesn't. Doesn't get me excited, Cody. What's your take here? Yeah, so again, we'll go back to Pat Mayo's theory. If he spammed both underdog, women underdogs, and they're both big plus money, I'm thinking one of them squeaks through. Now, I couldn't tell you which one because I'm picking against both of them, but the the lines are just too big. The thing with Farron is it's the same thing that we see week in, week out, right? It's, you know, buy high, sell low. This person lost their last fight. This person didn't look good their last fight. This person, we mean their last fight. So you get a good value. Farron's not very good. Let's be honest about it. But here's the thing about it, okay? Her debut against Megan Anderson, who's like the biggest girl at 145 pounds in the division, was a title challenger. And she got taken down. She got submitted. It's a tough debut. She got taken down. She got submitted. Her ground game is no good. That second fight with Felicia Spencer, her boxing didn't look bad, man. Like, not great, but she can box a little bit. Like, she can strike a little bit. Then the second she gets taken down, she's out of there. Man, no, no good. No good. So what we've established here is that she cannot grapple, 100%. Mm-hmm. But like, if the, she didn't get taken down, is it not possible that she could, you know, give a better account of herself? Is there something there that we just really haven't seen? Possible. Now, here's the thing with Josia Nunez. She's not like John Lineker or Jessica Andrade. She is. She's short. She's stout. She's compact. She comes forward. She doesn't throw the right hand. She only throws the left hand. She spams overhand lefts over and over and over again. But she's strong and she's aggressive as she comes forward. She's not really shown any any grappling um, really for the most part she's not showing us on the regional scene that she's going to shoot for that takedown or try to get the fight to the ground she likes to stand she likes to trade Bia Malecki's big and tall she backs her up she bombs her with that surprise surprise overhand left the Ramona Pasquale fight Ramona Pasquale landed three takedowns but Jocelyn Nunes by the way that that clearly shows to me that Jocelyn Nunes is grappling is lacking when she gets back up she backs her up and she lands the straight left hand 
or the overhand straight. She does not throw straight. Believe you. Believe believe me you. She did not. But here's the thing that's kind of like the greasy X factor that's causing me to just bail. So one, Farron might be able to strike a little bit. The key to beating her is taking her down. Nunez might not take the easy key. She might at least give her a chance and indulge in the striking affair. But Josia Nunez is five foot two with a sixty-seven inch reach. Mm-hmm. Sarah Farron is five foot eight with seventy-two inch reach, meaning she's got six inches of height on her, an additional five inches in the reach department. It's got recipe for the shorter fighter backs you up, swings the overhand left, and you just sidestep them and jab them and sidestep them and jab them. And, and the problem with that is you're going to have to fight a very disciplined fight for 15 minutes. And I haven't seen Farron get out of the first round. So can she fight a disciplined fight for 15 minutes? Paul, I don't know. Yeah. But minus 500, it's just got this trap line feel to it. Where, where you would just be, oh, Farron sucks. Oh, Farron sucks. Oh, Nunes is 2-0 in the UFC. Farron's 0-2 in the UFC. And it's in Brazil. Spam bet on Nunes. Like, ah, it's early, so you can rebuild if you get burned on it. But um, and I'll, and I'll, I'll bet Nunes. I don't like it. I don't love it. I got some like weird pit of my stomach feeling about it for whatever reason. Yeah, no, I'm not adding her to parlays by any stretch of the imagination. You make some good points. And yeah, if it's just a stand-up affair, maybe, I don't know. We haven't really seen... <laughs> Nunez has had some pretty easy opponents, frankly. It's like some of the lower level of the division. She hasn't been met with very much resistance whatsoever. I don't, but the problem is, it's like nothing has led me to believe that Zara Farron is any different than, you know, Bia Malecki or Ramona Pasquale at this point. Um, yeah, no, that's fair. And she's pulled out of a pile of fights. She missed weight when she was supposed to fight Jocia Nunez the first time. Yep. And then she pulled out of the Jocelyn Edwards fight four months later. And then she pulled out of that Eileen Perez fight because she failed her medicals. Like, you don't want to bet on this girl, man. Right? But what I'm telling you is don't put Nunez on the top or high up just because she's minus 500 and you spam bet a big favorite. Like, these are those college football teams that it's like, oh, their offense is good and their defense is good. They suck, man. They suck. And they're playing another sucky team. And one <laughs> of them is just going to suck less. Like, that. that's what it comes down to. Don't get heavily invested uh, i agree with with most of those statements there um josie and nunez minus 500 it's just like how much meat could there really be on the bone um at that price when she's giving up like there are very definitive you know advantages that farron has here she's a kickboxer uh by trade she's got yeah massive reach advantage massive height advantage like yeah, there's definite uh, issues for Josiah Nunez that I feel like I look at her and I go, why aren't we at 135? Like, 145 is barely even a division. Like, I feel like I'm surprised that she hasn't even started to do it, but it's just like I feel like the, 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 the decision to cut down to 135 should be in the near future. Maybe maybe Farron gives her a hard time here, and, and that's where we see her move moving forward because – um, well, there's not really not much of a division going on at 145 pounds in general. Uh, we got Cody Stamen taking on Luan Lacerda. Cody Stamen, a minus 400 favorite. Lacerda could be had for plus 300. Novu Yao guy in Luan Lacerda. I believe he, yeah, he's mostly a BJJ guy. Like I didn't really see much from the fights I did watch of him on tape. Of He threw some kicks and stuff, but like I didn't see a complete... Uh, stand-up game 
uh, already with him. Uh, he, he seems to be more of a guard puller. Doesn't have great wrestling. Uh, decent leg locks that he can set up. Like, his grappling looks slick once he's able to get it there. Now he's taking, he's taking on, you know, a powerhouse American wrestling-style opponent uh, in Cody Stamen. You know me. I'm always trying to look for opportunities to play dogs. But it's like, I really struggle to see how Luan Lacerda gets this fight to the mat. Um, and I think he is outmatched on the feet in terms of the striking. Lacerda's going to be bigger. He's longer. Yada, yada, yada. But it's like, his greatest skill is on the mat. And I don't think Cody's going to let him get there. Um, unless it's maybe a little bit later in the fight. And Cody's trying to, like, you know, seal up around by hanging out on top position for, like, 30 seconds or something like that. Uh, Stamen is the pick. What well, minus 400 scares me off. Um, what about you? I think you're muted. Yeah, that's my bad. My bad. I, I like Cody Stamen, man. I actually like him a decent amount. Uh, he's extremely professional good shape shows up got skills everywhere i would consider him to be a generalist his wrestling is not elite his striking is not elite his athleticism is not elite but he's very good in every one department he's very versatile he can do everything to a certain extent and the kid just got brass cojones like he may be his own worst enemy or his management team might be his own worst enemy but he wants to fight the best guys in the world he wants to test himself at the highest level time and time again if you look at his losses man Aljamain Sterling, Jimmy Rivera, Marab Devashvili, Said Nurmagomedov. Who's signing up for these fights? And look at that three-fight losing streak. Oh, Dan, you lost to Jimmy Rivera. It was a good fight, but you lost. Why don't you rebound by fighting Marab Devashvili? Now, watch that fight with Marab. Cody Stamen gives him a hell of a go, man. That's a good fight. That's an excellent fight. It shows that this kid is not quite there, but he's right around there. Two-fight losing streak. Damn, kid. Nice fight. Why don't you fight Saeed Nurmagomedov? Like, who thinks of this crap? So finally, the Eddie Wineland fight, it's a my bad. Yo, dude, thanks for taking those tough fights. And thanks for not complaining. And thanks for always making weight and always showing up and always being professional. We're going to give you the Wineland treatment. You can just knock out Eddie real quick. Make some money. And he does. Striking looks good. Knocked out Eddie Wineland. Thing is, is that he's got that American wrestling, as you mentioned. He's got good takedowns. He's got excellent cardio, 15-minute pace, a good chin, never been knocked out. And, and he really, you know, he's, he's a high ring IQ guy. He finds ways to win. If he can't beat you with his striking, he'll try to wrestle you. If he can't beat you with the wrestling, he'll try to strike you. Marab took him down. He popped right back up. His offensive wrestling of Marab gave him problems. The striking exchanges, he, he gave Marab problems. The kid's extremely talented. He's just not quite that upper echelon guy. Now 33 years old, he's going to be reduced to gatekeeper status, but he'll be one hell of a gatekeeper. He's got the skills to do it. He can, he can challenge those upper echelon guys and have some success. Luan Lacerda, where as I say, Cody Stamen's a generalist. He can do everything generally well. Lacerda is a specialist. His jiu-jitsu is awesome. His striking is not. His wrestling is mediocre at best. How does he get the fight to the ground to use his jiu-jitsu? Well, yeah, against some of these guys on the regional scene, he was able to get the fight to the ground. You can clinch up. You can pull guard. You can just create a transition. Against Stamen, he's going to run into Stamen's stock wrestling, and he, I don't think he's going to be able to get through it. In terms of the stand-up goes, there's no comparison. Lacerda will not stand up with Cody Stamen for 15 minutes. He might, like Stamen doesn't knock out a whole lot of guys not named Eddie Wineland. But it's a competition gap, right? We think Stamen's not knocking out guys because he's fighting the best guys in the world. But his boxing is, is good. It's technical. His footwork's pretty okay. 
Okay, and I think that he just chews up Lacerda uh, piece piece by piece. If Lacerda can't get the fight to the ground, and I don't think he's going to get the fight to the ground, so Stamen wins this fight wherever he wants. Last but not least, I did get like it's tough with it's tough with Stamen because a lot of the times he's the underdog. That's the other thing about him. All of his fights, Sidner Magomedov, he's a plus one fifty five underdog. Marab Devashvili, he's a plus two ten underdog. Jimmy Rivera, even money. Aljamain Sterling, he was a plus one. 45 underdog when he beat tom dukanoy he was a plus 145 underdog he cashes a ton of dog tickets maybe he's that better fighting from behind being the underdog guy but his fight with sayinir magomedov i broke it down i thought he had a shot in that one and he got caught in a beautiful guillotine choke in 47 seconds so part of me now needs to acknowledge that lacerda's got excellent jiu-jitsu it would be possible that maybe he snatches up a choke maybe he's able to work on the ground off of a cody statement take down attempt and get something going but you would look at side near magomedov versus uh sayukub kakramanov his last time like homie gets your neck you're done so i don't feel too bad about it cody statement fights the best guys in the world luan lacerda ain't one of them i think he neutralizes them even if he just sits up in guard I, I think he avoids all the submissions and just ground and pounds him if it stays standing i think that there's a big big discrepancy in his favor I think he gets the job done. Minus 400, I don't love. But again, keep in mind that this is a card that has quite a few big favorites on it. Which ones do you absolutely trust? Which ones do you think might be the apple pie shitters? Mm -hmm. To me, Stamen seems like one of the safer guys going. I would say, I want to say I like Burns. I, I like Jessica Andrade, although some reservations there. Johnny Walker's a value guy. You know what? I'll run it down at the end. But uh, you've got a big favorites on this card one of them's gonna blow it got to figure out which one to me stamen seems trustworthy but we'll have to see on saturday if i'm an idiot or not yeah and like the lacerda i mean they've done a pretty good job not many books have opened up their props yet so it is what it is but like they've done a good job on um at least the early lines that i see right now it's like lacerda by sub is plus 400 but the money line is like plus 305 uh, plus 310 is even out there right now. So it's like they know that, like, this guy seems pretty sub or bust in this situation. And the only thing, the only, like, hole I will poke in in Stamen is that Lacerda throws a lot of kicks. He's got um, a 73-inch reach to Stamen 64. So it's like for Stamen to get inside and deliver, um, he's, he's got to be closing a lot of distance. He's giving up a lot of reach uh, to a much bigger opponent in Luan Lacerda. So at minus 400, I've really struggled to to get to it, but I think Stamen should win. Uh, mind his P's and Q's, land, the, uh, land some shots to the body. Do you not engage particularly early in the fight, uh, in the grappling whatsoever? Because, um, yeah, L Lacerda looks very, very one-dimensional. And finally, we got Simon Oliveira taking on Daniel Marcos, minus 140, Oliveira, plus 120 for Daniel Marcos. Who you got? Yeah, maybe it's just like a spam underdog bet, but I would say this is the quintessential dogger pass. And uh, eh, why not take Daniel Marcos as the slight underdog? So if you're looking for who's the more experienced guy, who's the more proven guy, who can you watch more tape on and come away with a, you know, a better inclination of what they're going to look like on Saturday, yeah, it would be Simon Oliveira. He's fought a lot more recently. You saw him on the contender series against Jose Alde, close fight. You know, his Muay Thai seems pretty good, likes to sit down on his strikes, uh, heavy low kicks, you know, big hooks over the top. 
And then he's tall. He's, he's kind of like tall for the weight class. He doesn't have a low center of gravity, so they match him up with Tony Gravely his next time out. He just got taken down by the exact same takedown 11 times. So his wrestling is going to be limited. His striking is where he's most comfortable. He can throw some okay numbers, some okay volume. But uh, for the most part, just like a limited guy. Now, he's fought in the better level of competition. You can go back and say, geez, he's fought in Pancras. He looked good there. He beat this Wesley Batista, a decent little prospect from Brazil. He fought Ari Farias on ACB card. He's already made his UFC debut. That's all good stuff for experience. But that's about it. Like, I'm just giving the experience edge. Daniel Marcos, he's 29, fights out of Peru. There was a time where I was young and ignorant, and I would have said, that's a bad look because... Who else is fighting in Peru? Who are your training partners? Who are your coaches? Who, who Who's getting you ready for these fights? What league are you preparing for? Who did you fight in your regional scene career coming up? Here's the thing. The guys from Peru that eventually do make it are almost always very good. They are extremely strong. They're gritty. And they, they're going to find a way to just bust on through punch for punch, whether it be Enrique Barzola, where it be a Luis Palomino, where, whether it be a lot of these Peruvian guys, man, they earn my respect. Absolutely tough, tough, tough guys that are capable of winning these lower-level fights, which Simon Oliveira is. Now, if you look at Daniel Marcos, you know, he's got some pretty solid striking, right? He's dusting guys in Peru. They're 7-1. and one. They're 8-2. and two. They're the best guys around in Peru, and he smashes all of them, okay? Then he takes three years off before that contender series fight with Brandon Lewis. So for three years, who knows what he's up to? And that's why I picked against him on the contender series. But here's the problem about taking three years off is I don't know what you're bringing to the yard. All I can do is assume and hope that my guy's got the bigger shake, but I don't know. And in Oliveira's case, man, the, sorry, Marcos's case, his striking is pretty solid. He's got decent kickboxing. He's got some power. He flat out does gas out against Brandon Lewis, but he lands the bigger shots. He holds his ground quite well. He seems serviceable. This is going to be a kickboxing battle. And what I saw out of the Brandon Lewis fight was a three-year-long layoff. He had to fight a hard 15 minutes, and he pushed through. He'd be a better version of himself now. Second fight back. You know, mm -hmm. I know it's under the bright lights of the UFC, and it's against a Brazilian opponent. He's South American. It's not going to matter to him. It's going to be a short little trip for him. This is good. He's probably been in Brazil training because he's got Brazilian training partners. I think he's going to show up in good shape. It's going to be a striking battle. And he's going to have his chances and he's going to have his spots. And if he doesn't gas out, if his cardio is better and he's feeling better, um, he, he's live. He's live. Plus 120. Live ticket. Live ticket. Yeah. Is that enough to cause you to run to the window and bet it? No, no. I'm not sitting here and telling you this is the dog of the week and this is we're going to make a bunch of money here. I'm saying this is a 50-50 fight. Heads or tails? The heads actually pays a little bit better than tails. Well, then I'm taking heads. And if tails paid better, I'd probably take tails. But, uh, all jokes aside, all you know, little comparisons aside or little stupid bullshit stories aside, I just feel like it's going to be a striker versus striker. He showed on the contender series his volume was better. His power looked a little bit better. He doesn't have the experience, but that was a three-year-long layoff, beating a solid American opponent, dropping him twice. If he comes out same version, I think we're okay. If he comes out better version, yeah, we're cashing this plus 120, and I'd feel good about it. But, yeah, uh, yeah I'm going to go with Daniel Marcos. Yeah. Um... No, I agree with you. I'm I'm leaning towards Marcos as well. He threw like a, a bunch of like you know flying knees on Contender Series. So back when Simon Oliveira made his debut on Contender Series, he threw like a ton of like super super reckless spinning back fists in that fight. 
like a lot of people remember like him like getting takedowns and 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 using uh, top control to kind of win that fight. But it's like he was so reckless in that. Maybe he's got like the world's greatest chains. Never been knocked out. But I made a note of it back then. I said someone is going to annihilate Simon Oliveira in the UFC. But it'll be fun to watch. Uh, uh, in the UFC, but it'll be fun to watch. M- Man loves himself a reckless spinning back fist, and I'm all for it. I've kind of thought that uh, that was maybe n- going to happen against Gravely, but Gravely just stuck to the wrestling game plan, took him down over and over and over, and never really engaged in the striking whatsoever. It's possible that, like, Marcos, I, watching, re-watching his fight on Contender Series, I didn't see somebody with, like, crazy power, so I don't know if this is the spot to do it. But I'm going to pick Marcos uh, with you here. He does like throwing those like flying knees. I think Simon Oliveira is super, super reckless in striking affairs. And uh, it should be a super, super fun fight, but one that I'm not overly confident in and not going to be throwing big money at. The one thing I will say about Marcos, obviously he was coming off of a three-year layoff against Brandon Lewis. He was very, very tired. Like he basically the last like, two minutes of that fight just runs away like he's he was probably actually sorry the last like 20 seconds he's like okay I've got to make up some make up some ground and make sure I win make sure I win this round because he probably gave up round two and then round three starts out pretty good but that there was like a minute and a half window uh later on in that round where it's like he's kind of just running away and then Lewis is able to land some strikes, and then he closes out pretty nice to win it. But it's like, he looked very, very tired. It was not, he had some really excellent leg kicks. That's what I really took away from that. That's enough for me to ever so slightly edge it towards him. We'll see where the line goes. We'll see how the weigh-ins and all that type of jazz happen over the course of the week. But uh, I'll, I'll join you in picking Daniel Marcos. Looked like you had something to say. Yeah, well, it goes back to me saying Terrence McKinney will be at a disadvantage because he's fighting outside of the United States for the first time, right? I, 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 I think of things like that now a lot more. With, like, Marcos, this kid's never left Peru, not for anything. He trains in Peru. He lives in Peru. He fights in Peru. He hasn't fought in three years, and now he's going to hop on a plane for the first time and come to Las Vegas, Nevada, in the bright lights in the Strip, and Dana White's going to sit right there in a small little arena with nobody in it, and he gassed out. Yeah, well, he hadn't fought in three years. He just left his country the first time. Came to Las Vegas. Dana's there. So that's why I keep trying to tell myself, sophomore effort, more comfortable. You've done the experience before. You've been there. And now it's in Brazil, and he's from Peru. So I don't know. I guess we can, only time will tell, Paul. The tough part about being a tout master is sometimes I like to hide some of these little ones to myself, but I can't. I can't. So those are the public picks, and... Uh, all I can do is hopefully tie for first place with six other guys. I don't care. We'll split the money. But hopefully we win. Um. Oh, you actually ended up joining. I didn't notice if you were uh, if you were involved in there, like what your handle was in the That's contest. I'm... Oh, yeah. <laughs> My handle's actually... Uh... Well, you don't have to reveal it because I didn't see CJ Saftik in there. So I had no idea that you were actually in there. If you want to maintain anonymity, um, then and all for you. You could do that. I put my handle in there, so it's pretty obvious who it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, whatever. It doesn't matter. The main thing is you'll know by the end of the season when I take that bitch down. But until then, yeah, we got 51 more to go. So <laughs> long, long way, Paul. It's a long season. You know better than anybody. I don't see the Libby Libby Rapji photo up on 
up on your screen right now or up there it is right yeah it's over in the corner uh mm. that uh, i'm actually hey it doesn't matter it is in the corner i gotta like switch stuff around because like i, I don't know when i first set up the studio it was like i maybe the chair maybe the camera it was like a lot of this upper stuff you could actually see now when i see my shot on the camera it's like i got john jones's balls in my face all the time like why not at least just put the top half of him like it's his face or you're uh i'll leave you with this you're a doug flutie guy right yeah oh, oh, oh. oh there's libe rapchi full-size doug flutie oh that's a beauty and that's a and, beauty. and it's full size which is only about five foot eight yeah yeah the greatest oh, quarterback and you got Soka Juice shorts, you got posters, you got John Jones wearing a luchador mask. John Jones versus Dan Henderson, pay-per-view got canceled, never happened. Dope. That's yeah. Scott Ferrozo's jacket from like UFC, I think six or seven. Kimbo shorts. There I got too. all that stuff, but then but then but then look at this shot. Producer Megan will be able to tell you. You got Chris Lytle's got looks like he's got a female breast going on. She's pointed and, that uh, one out before. She has, she has, she has, and I was like, I don't know what the hell she's talking about. But then I looked at it. Yo, he got a pair of titties, and this is the weird part: a nice pair of titties too. Like, <laughs> I don't know, man. Top four, long time ago. All right. Well, here's the bets I have this week, Cody. We got uh, Warley Alves under two and a half, or the Alves Dalby Dalby under two and a half rounds minus one twenty. Uh, Nunez and uh, Fairn. I took the under two and a half and the under one and a half. I took, you know, what would be one unit and put it on both. Like I split it right down the middle, half a unit on both. Hopefully someone gets finished. But eh, Farron, maybe she could fight a nice game plan, use that reach out to the outside. Like by no stretch of the imagination is a mortal lock. I just think Farron looks like, you know, like a, like a warm body, somebody that just is going to get absolutely walked down and, and, and beaten down in the UFC continuously. Um, I got the parlay of Johnny Walker and Burns. That comes out to like plus 102. And Bruno Ferreira is my dog shot. The other addition I'm considering making is Andrade inside the distance, which is like plus 200 out there. Haven't made that bet yet. Um, we'll see when more books open up and yada, yada, yada. And on prize picks, like the lines, I haven't looked too, too closely. Um, but what I did see looked pretty tight, man. Like I didn't love too much of the, uh, what the offerings right now. It's like, if I'm not going to bet it, if I'm not going to touch it, I'm not posting it or telling other people to do it. Like, that's just not my jam. That's never what I've been about. The only thing I've got in right now, I've got the Nunez under, uh, 52.5 significant strikes. The reason I did that is because I think that she gets her out of there early. Um, 52 and a half is quite a number of strikes obviously to get to get to that type of position so i figure if she gets like a first or even early second round finish she's not going to get close to that and then glover less than 2.5 takedowns which i don't even necessarily love i just i that mentality is more like glover gets him down finds a submission or he gets knocked out both of them I'm not like really it's not like last week where you 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 crapped on it a little bit, Cody. The Al Hassan under significant strikes. Did it just hit by wasn't like, even close. Of it No. Was like, he got to set combination. He got to seven he, he got to seventeen. Seventeen significant oh, strikes. We had forty three and a half. Oh, I was all that's, over that's it. That's and you were just like, Oh, I don't know. You you, you pooped on it. 
You know, you hurt my feelings. Well, you hurt my feelings more side, than the people in the comment at least section, we Cody. Had, at least we had Al Hassan, so at least the right guy won. But that was a greasy fight, man. A greasy yeah. fight. But you you were right. The guy, the guy's either I'm gonna knock you out within 20 punches, or I'm gonna gas out and blow this thing for myself. Yeah, you, you're 100% right, and that's the good thing about prize picks. You can zone in on those little, those little ones that just adds like so much more value, right? It's significant strikes, it's it's time, you know, on the mat. You can play the fantasy point style of, of games, but uh, yeah, I like these like over unders on striking stats, and you know, you zone in on a good one there. The PRP this week, mm-hmm. don't love it, don't love it. We're gonna go with Hill at the top. We're gonna go Brandon Moreno. We're gonna go Gilbert Burns. We're gonna go Jessica Andrade. Johnny Walker, uh, Ihor Patiera, Gregor Rodriguez, Tiago Moises, Munir Lazez, dog number one, Jailton Almeida, uh, Ishmael Bonfim, dog number two, Worley Alves, Josia Nunez, Cody Stamen, and Daniel Marco. So in total, we've got three underdogs on 15 fights. Doesn't feel good, but you've also got two even money picks. So whatever, it is what it is. And uh, yeah, again, you don't need to overextend yourself on bet every single fight. Just pick the ones that you like, the one that you feel comfortable with. And the last bit of information you'll be able to pick up is on Friday. Check the weigh-ins. You've got a couple of fighters on this card like Zara Farron or, or Figueredo who notoriously haven't made weight particularly well. So worth keeping an eye on. And outside of that, we had a good week one, and there's 51 more weeks to go. So all we can do is, well, actually, well, we're already like third week of the year. So my math's obviously wrong on that. But there's like 48 more UFCs to go. So there's going to be lots of opportunities. We just got to keep it in the green, Paul. So hopefully we get another good result week two or week three or week four, whatever you want to consider this. And just keep going from there, man. Yep. As I always like to say to people, it's like when people get like too aggressive with betting, it's like you're you're not going to get rich tomorrow, but you can go broke tomorrow. So like mind your P's and Q's, pick your spots. Don't be too crazy week to week. There's fights. There's more fights to bet on than there ever have been before. So, you know. Uh, slow and steady runs the course. The long, yeah, the longer you stay in the game, the more opportunity you have to uh, to cash in big down the line. Seemed like you had something yeah, to say. You, no, that's it, man. You see it all the time. So, like last week, someone will say, "Geez, Dan Ige, it looks too good to be true." This looks too good to be true. I'm gonna put five hundred dollars on Dan Ige, and you win. And it was like, man, I knew it. I knew it. I was all over that line. I was all over that line. So now you look at this card and it's like, oh man, I love, I don't know, let's say it's someone reasonable. Uh, who was the minus 190 that was very reasonable? <laughs> Johnny, Johnny Walker. Walker. Johnny, Walker. Not that Johnny Walker. Bro, bro, that, that, that could be your value pick. I'm going with the older Bomb Fiend brother because it's plus 105. I think it's going to add a lot. But in terms of which guy's a favorite but isn't some monster favorite no value, Johnny Walker. He can win and make this look real easy. Minus 190 would be great. So you load up, you put all your money from Ige to Walker, and you win. And you're like, oh, man, I knew it. I was all over that. Now now you just automatically go to the next one, and it's like, oh, uh, I kind of like – I guess I kind of like Duho Choi to beat Kyle Nelson. And you put all of the money. But you loved Ige, and you got $500 together. And you, you, you loved Johnny Walker, and you were able to get you know, $800 on it. And now this one, you don't even like it all that much, but it's the – one that you like on this card the most. And instead of just betting back on your small limits or reducing it, they just try to, like playing blackjack. Like, I'm just going to keep building. It's like, no, no, no. You got to, like, go back to your original bet and put the other side. Nah, people don't do it, right? So 
you're chilling, you're chasing the thrill. And if you want to win big, you got to bet big. And that's the best way to do it. I win, carry those winnings over, carry those winnings over, carry those winnings over. But that's why you see guys cash for 20, 30, 40, lose it within two, three weeks. They just bet way higher. And they start betting basketball and they start betting football and they start betting whatever because like they think that they're somehow better than anybody. Oh, I'm a winner. I'm a winner. It's like, no, man, you got a good niche on MMA. Stick to MMA. Stick to boxing. Stick to whatever the niche is. But when winning, winning is almost like the most vicious drug. Like you win and it's like, no, I just want to win on Korean table tennis at three in the morning. It's like, no, Gabe Morenci, give that guy a shout. That guy's the man. And he's like the best cautionary tale. Like I, I love him. I think he's a great guy, friend of mine. But uh, when I was a kid, someone told me, oh, the fool learns from his mistakes. But the wise man learns from the fool. And that always stuck with me. Like you can see enough people that have set their own houses on fire that you could now realize this is how you don't set your house on fire. Be smart. Be smart. Last week was good. Hopefully this week's good too. But you know, keep it within the your confines of your limits. And uh, yeah, it's a slow grind. It's a slow grind with many opportunities and many spots for the rest of the year. So be smart. And uh, hopefully we make 2023 the best one yet. Yes, sir. Couldn't say it better myself. All right. That is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For producer Megan and Cody Saptic, I'm Paul Shaughnessy. Saying goodbye and good luck. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows granger has got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.